Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 254. My name is Greg. I will play the role of your host today. And joining me around the table is Andy. Uh, Andy Steiger here. It's good to be here. Sorry, Andy Steiger. You're so, you're he's so hot right now. Gosh, you are so hot Some, right some now. say Steiger the Tiger. I hear stories I the that Steiger. all you have to do is walk into places and people are just reading your book. And you're like, you need, <laughs> you're not you need me there. to sign that for you? He doesn't even ask if they need him to sign no. it. He, he just carries a pen and he just starts signing it. <laughs> you don't, you probably I don't, give people books and be like, hey, you want me to sign that? You don't know this yeah, about Andy, but that. he just walks around clicking pens, just ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, the, the other day I was someplace and somebody was reading the book and uh, asked me if I'd sign it and I felt pretty good about myself. And they, they asked you though. Yeah, they did. They did. Did you say, I don't know how to say this, <laughs> this but that but book would be worth a whole lot more. I'm a pretty big deal if I signed that. Good for you. So hey. how much is it worth if it's signed? Um, how much is it worth if it's not signed, Andy? <laughs> I think a solid like 10 cents more, man, if that thing's signed. All right. Yeah, yeah. Solid 10 cents. That's a lot. Have you ever had a book signed? Did you ever get a, the, a signature from a, an author? Brian Hurlbutt. Did you? Signed his book yeah. for me. That's yeah. pretty legit. He knows you're making fun of him when you do it, though. Yeah, yeah. Everybody I've ever asked for a signature from, I'm making fun of them. Have you? Have you never, <laughs> Jeff? Have you never had like a real signature? Where you're like, I'm like giddy to get this person no. to sign my book. No. Never, never. No. Okay, but honestly, if you were Jeff hanging with Tim, Ke- with us. if you were hanging with Tim Keller, would you or would no. you not have him sign your? I book? I wouldn't have him sign my book. I get him to sign my forearm. <laughs> No. Okay, is there I is never there not? It. Do you know what I would do? I'd have them sign my Bible. Have you heard that there are oh, people who mercy. do this? No, I've been that's not right. No, seriously, I've been to conferences where I've seen people. You know, they hand out sometimes free Bibles and new translations or whatever. I've actually seen people stand in line behind around a you know a kind of a celebrity a theologian or something like that, and they have them sign the front page of the Bible. Now that. Is crazy. That's crazy. If you ever sign a front page of a Bible, Jeff, do we have permission to punch you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I <laughs> There's no do way it. I would ever. I would never do no. it. Never. But seriously, I mean, are, you, book, no, are you telling book, me that but there's your book, nobody? Your book and the Bible are kind of, I mean, one and one A, right? <laughs> well, I've said that before. No, no, so seriously, you're telling me that there's Thinking? nobody that you, <laughs> there's nobody that you wouldn't want their signature on your book. No, not even Andy Steiger. No one. No, no one in history. I don't history. want your signature. No one in Charles history. Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> okay. If Spurgeon were here and came back to life. Yes. Like if he, were, <laughs> if he came back to life and he's still covered with the dirt and he came and said, Jeff, I'll sign that book. I'd be like, all right. <laughs> okay. So there uh, we go. You're alive again. This is a good story. I mean, this is a good story. He came up out of the grave. <laughs> but that's more for the story than the signature. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, for me, Bill Craig, man, that's probably the only person I've ever been like, I really want you to sign my book. Really? Yeah. That was pretty good. What, what did he say so when he signed the book? Did he give it like a little tag? Like, you're awesome, Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned everything from you. <laughs> I know, right? Thank you for everything. No. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Okay, so a little short story, though. Andy and I had, I've told this before in other settings, but okay. like privately, but Andy and I had lunch with Bill Craig when he was here. Yes. This dude can eat. 
Mm-hmm. He can pound down the food. He's the skinniest thing, but he is like it's just something keep, else. Keep the food coming. He ate ribs that day, and honestly, I think he even, had an appetizer too. Even if he had an appetizer, he had ribs, and then they came over and they were like, "Do you do you want any dessert?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> he had like an apple pie. It was ridiculous. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah wow. He can put it down. But even there, I didn't ask him to sign my book. Nope, you didn't. No. I don't, I, I'm I don't really know. surprised. Greg, what about you? Do you have somebody that you'd be like, yes, please, I need that person to sign my book? No. no is it just me? Am I the so. only groupie I'm, here? Yeah, here, you are. Here's the thing All for right. me, though. I, I'm, I'm in the camp now where most of my new purchases are Kindle or yeah. on my Bible software stuff. Yeah. I don't know the last time I've bought a hard copy book that someone could sign. Did you? Have, would you have them sign your Kindle? Yeah, I'd have them sign my laptop screen, <laughs> so that everything I read sharpie, now, so that oh, that's uh, is through the lens of D.A. Carson. I should have thought of that before I had him sign it. <laughs> so we have a guest today with us. He's been on the, here before, but not very often. Who is it? It's Poochie. Hey, why, uh, Matt have, we, Crocker. Have, have we ever explained why he's called Poochie? We get a whack. Yeah, they have many times. All right, I was waiting to apparently speak I've until just spoken never been to. A part of that. Part of, I was waiting to speak until spoken to. Yeah, that's well, you're on a formal introduction. Yeah, <laughs> he's also producing, which I mean, this used to be every time we did the podcast, someone who was producing was also the host, and then we started getting interns like myself and others to do it. It's not very often that we allow an intern a, a microphone, so. That says something. Remember when we no, had almost never treasure Eric, this moment, brother. Treasure it. Remember when we had Eric the intern? Yeah, and oh, yeah. he did the ones, and then we had the Ask Eric. Yeah, we had an Ask yeah. Eric section. So we should have an Ask Poochie section now. Right. So let's move on to. Um, <laughs> hey, Poochie, you're not just on podcast. You're actually co-teaching a TLC class coming up. That's right, C.S. Lewis this Saturday. So I have a question. What's the date? What's the date? Intro to philosophy. Uh, May 7th. Okay. So what's wrong with the Bible? That's my question. You don't, mm. Lewis, you have to go to C.S. Lewis? I don't understand. Nothing's Is wrong with Apostle the Bible. Is the Apostle Paul We're using or? the Bible. Okay. We use Lewis, <laughs> philosophy, Bible. Because the Bible ties it all together. In that order. Is it? You, See, are you, the Bible agrees with C.S. Lewis here. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's going to be said several <laughs> times. See? <laughs> Are you doing this class by yourself? Or have we lost our minds? No, with Kyle. Okay. Okay. Have we lost our minds? <laughs> We're just. You letting... have lost your minds. <laughs> Good night. But you have a background in philosophy. Uh, a small one. Oh like, come ba- on! A, bachelor's a minor degree. in philosophy. All right. And Kyle has Kyle actually has done quite a bit of it. So he's a philosophy geek. His brother, many people don't know, Kyle Meeker's brother is probably I don't know, one of the world's foremost experts on David Hume. Hmm. Yeah, and he's a fantastic he's a, philosopher. And in fact, Bill Craig had him co-write on a yeah, book so, that he did. So, But that's his brother. Yeah, he studied under Plantinga. <laughs> so I just want you to know that's his brother. Yeah. It's not, so, that's not, it's not Kyle. Kyle. That's no. pretty legit. Right. No. Because like Wayne Gretzky had a brother. <laughs> I think he did. And he I wasn't very he good at hockey. No. I mean, no. he like they let him in the NHL for a few games because they're like, Cause he's a Gretzky. Gretzky, surely he has some skill. And hey, then they were like, no, actually, Wayne got all of it. Here's the Ask Pucci. What was it? Was it Keith Gretzky? I don't was know. Was Wayne's brother's name Keith? If anybody out let there, me look it up. If anybody out there knows the answer to uh, to who Wayne Gretzky's brother was, who also played in the NHL, we we will give you a signed copy of yes. Andy Steiger's book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
There it I is. always love it when you guys give my stuff away. Yeah. Hey, speaking about uh, <laughs> when my does, book Andy. was almost burned last year, oh, we, got, we got a great event coming up. We do. Pucci has some news for us, though. Well, I have the answer, but Don't I can't share it answer. now because there's a signed copy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Um, the men's conference is coming up May 13, 14. So this year we're not doing a retreat because uh, the, the way that the, our yearly booking at Rockridge fell, it was going to be on the May long weekend. And we thought, guys probably aren't going to want to come on the May long weekend to a retreat. They probably want to do something with their family. The other weekend we could have got was uh, Father's Day weekend which had some pros and cons to it. The cons being that they probably weren't going to be allowed to go. Mm. Um, so we decided to do a, a conference here at Northview at the Abbotsford campus. Which and I was excited about because I got lost last year heading to Rock Ridge. Yeah. I found myself uh, about an hour away. I kid you not. Wow. Good. Mm-hmm. That's a bad turn. Actually about a half hour. Half hour, yeah. At what point? Did you like go past it or when you were going up the mountain, did you? I missed an exit. I was yeah. I had a young adult with me and we were talking too much. And le- next thing I knew, um, I was in the wrong yeah, place. Sure, blame mm. it on the millennial, not the guy driving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a millennial with me. I didn't know what he was doing. But I'm excited about this year, man. And particularly, I mean, Joshua Harris, he's, he's awesome. He's he, going to be speaking. He is speaking. He, uh, his story is that he wrote a bestseller at like 20 called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Which we're actually going to do a podcast with Joshua uh, when he's here. So I don't know if it's going to be an extra podcast or what it's going to be, but we're going to make a lot of jokes about I kiss dating goodbye. I, I'm imagining. That's oh gonna yeah, happen. yeah. Well, it's not, to, those aren't the only. But jokes. to be awesome, I mean to be to be honest, what I was really excited about beside the speaker was the food, Greg. <laughs> the food. It, it not only will it be. Awesome. It'll be like Andy Steiger awesome. This well, no, so this, right is beyond that. this is <laughs> beyond that. This is Mennonite women can cook. It's Mennonite awesome. girls can cook. Mennonite girls can cook. Yeah. But it's going to be good. They, uh, they're making a, a bacon lover's brunch for us. So here's the menu. Blueberry French, uh, toast. Blueberry French toast, hash browns, fruit salad. So that's the side stuff. Yeah, but when they make hash browns, it's they're actually shred they shred the potatoes yeah they they don't mess they, around they yeah they throw full butter in there the blueberry the blueberry french toast is going to be a showstopper too yeah. uh also we're going to have uh some Rempel's farmer sausage yeah oh you can't go wrong with and that and some bacon wrapped smokies yeah which are unreal and some candied bacon slices oh. can we just stop there for a moment i talked to somebody the other day that had never heard of Rempel's sausage, farmer sausage. Okay. And I, I was concerned for their well being. Yeah. I don't I didn't know it was possible to live in Abbotsford and not know about it's Rempel's. It's pretty good. It's so, unbelievable. About it. So if you are, are a man, you should come, you should sign up. Thirty five dollars gets you in the door and the first three hundred people get lunch included with their thirty five. And there are some tr- you have some door prizes even. We do. For this. We're like, confirming this a, we're confirming some prizes right now, but what we so in know other words, for you sure, don't have it, but you're going to. We know one prize we have for sure are two tickets to the Seahawks Thursday night football game versus the new L.A. Rams. Wow. That's actually a really cool prize. So that's going to be a door prize given away at the Saturday afternoon session. We'll have other stuff, too. So sign up, northy.org. What about a men. signed copy of Thinking? Yep, <laughs> oh we're gonna give one. Can we give one of those away, Andy? Right now, <laughs> just when I think it won't, it won't end. It doesn't end. Can, can are you coming to the men's conference? Oh, don't pretend that you don't have like a thousand <laughs> of these copies somewhere. <laughs> are you gonna come? Could you I, live sign it? Or I do you unfortunately need to can't it? be there. This okay, year. fine. We'll have a pre-signed. I'm on vacation. Andy Steiger, Thinking. copy of the book, Thinking. Okay. 
hey. As long as you don't burn it this year. Hey, Andy, come bring a book. Oh, by the way, Yours it might get burned. burned. Calm down. I don't know why that's so offensive. People seem to <laughs> make that. Good. I thought it was a good idea. Hey, we got some questions in. Thank you for sending those questions into us at extra at Keep them coming. We love it. Uh, first question uh, is from a faithful listener. He sent in a bunch of questions in the past. He asked, do you get a lot of emails after the weekend sermons? And if so, what would you like people to know about emailing you after the sermon? Jeff, you preach a bit at Northview. I do. And this actually, if you don't mind, we can um, expand this conversation into, uh, well, broad advice on how to be a a person who attends church and uh, can kindly, either kindly uh, correct the pastor or kindly encourage or stuff. So let's, here's my particular thing. Uh, I, I get some email. I get less email than, than people would think, right? I have gotten in the past lots of email at particular points. Uh, people aren't quite as, as quick to send them now, which is good in some ways. Uh, I suppose maybe bad in some ways. Um, I, the way we, the way we have it function is that um, I the email that is sent to me actually goes to my my the our executive assistant Cecilia Steenkamp. Hmm. Cecilia will read the email, and she will determine whether or not that email is something that um, that I need to see. And that's largely a pragmatic thing because we have so many pastors on our staff, right? And they need to. A lot of times, people want to talk to somebody about it, and like Andy would be more suitable. You might be a young adult, and you want to talk about something. Andy would be more suitable, so she'll just shuttle that Can off. Can I also to you. just say something to that as well? I think it's, it might be helpful for some people to know <clears throat> that it, there's at times where you need help, right, with these emails, or you'd be answering emails all right. day long. Right. So um, she plays quarterback, throws it off to whoever. Ultimately, I'm the running back, and she will eventually hand some st- some stuff to me if, if the email is really critical. And I have gotten my fair share of very critical emails. Um, she will usually send it on to me, but um, she might, if it's really harsh, she might actually share with our executive pastor first to see if that's something that that needs to happen. Now, I'm going to tell you that I instituted that when I came here because I was getting some email that was really harsh. And um, email is an interesting, uh, an interesting media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, medium is the right way to say that. It it is a way for you to have very little, um, very little responsibility. I don't know who you are. I usually uh, some people use email addresses that aren't actually they're like their spam addresses, and they send from that sort of stuff. We've had people make up pseudonyms, right, and write emails. and write emails. That's actually quite common. And so it, I don't, so I don't know how seriously to take. Some some of the stuff, and some of it is is filled with um, expletives, and some of it is um, re- really negative. You know, as a pastor, you always want to take seriously any critique you have because you recognize that you're not perfect and don't have it it together, and there are errors in judgment, and especially the amount you talk. There are lots of times that you make uh, honest, sometimes honest mistakes. Like guy came up to me this weekend, and he said, "I think your math is off." And I was like, "What?" He said, "Yeah, when you talk about 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, that's not 950." And I was like, "Oh, you're right." And thus, 
why I was a humanities major. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's right, right? But he, he said, oh, I'm just teasing you a little bit, right? Because this, he, he understood the spirit of what I was saying is not that the 950 or whatever. But you, you use so many words that you end up making mistakes here and there, right? You might yep. say Second Corinthians where you meant first or whatever, some, something like that. And you can't ever be 100% perfect. And so some people will write, will email me about some things that are just silly like that. A lot of times they'll email me stuff, though, that has, has content of critique. And when they do that, it usually runs through grid with other people and... I take seriously what they say. I don't always agree, right? I don't have to always agree with people's critique of me or or something that took place. But and there have been times where I have responded um, with I wouldn't say equal vigor, mm. in the sense that sometimes people will write something really harsh, and I will usually respond with uh, far less um, vitriol. But I also, at points, if it's a if it's a gospel issue, there are times where I'll respond with similar, "Hey, uh, I think you're missing the point here, and let me push back and challenge you and that sort of stuff." But it's really a rotten medium to do that with. Mm. Anyway, what would it's I a like? Dehumanizing medium, isn't it? You're oh, totally. able to say things without having to look a person in the face. Yeah, Ezra calls them drive-by shootings. Yeah, yeah, and they, it they kind of can be. So here's here's a, what, what I would love to get. <laughs> I don't get a ton of encouragement in email, in all honesty. It's, um, I, I get some, but not very much. Um, I, I'm willing to accept that. That's fine. I don't, I don't need the, to have people tell me. I mean, most pastors don't need to have somebody tell them that they had a good sermon or a good this or that to know whether it was good or bad. They, they usually know. Mm-hmm. And we have a review group that we do where the person will get a genuine feeling whether or not it was a good sermon or not. And people in that room are far more honest than... Than in other places, so hmm. I don't mind getting that sort of stuff. I I really love it when people interact with the content of what you said mm-hmm. and are write their reflections on what they said. So even if it's not a question, they'll say, "Here's what I, what that made me think hmm. about," or they might ask for a clarification with a certain amount of. I mean, because email is such a bad medium, you have to be really clear that you're not yeah. you're not criticizing what was said. You're just trying to say, "Look, I'm trying to understand the nuances." Like, where would we go from here type stuff? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And th- one, that's helpful. One of the things that I find really helpful is timing is everything with a sermon. Uh, in fact, th- for this reason, even when we do sermon review, we give it at some days, you know, before we, uh, you know, interact with the individual. Because it, I call it a soul spanking when somebody takes your, your, mm. your talk or your, your message and then critiques it. And one, so one of the most devastating Especially things, immediately after. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because your heart, you just poured your heart out. And even if you didn't pour your heart, if you poured your heart out in a way that was, you know, not to be evaluated completely positively by saying that the intent was good, mm-hmm. right? I, was, I tried. And it might, I, you know, I might have failed in the same way that someone strikes out sometimes, but I tried. And so there needs to be a period of time that you, you allow me to have like... Uh, diffuse, right? And by yeah. Tuesday or Wednesday, like my heart's not tied to it anymore. So one of the worst things you could do is come up to a preacher right after the message and even mm. even slightly critiquing it. You you, you really got to be careful because they're they're quite sensitive at that mm. at that point. The only person that can get away with that for me is my wife. Like she, you know, I'm I've gotten used to her critiquing me, 
But even there, I mean, that can even be harsh. You, you, you really need to give it a day or two. Right. Unless, unless the doctrine is so egregious that, especially if the person's going to preach another couple sermons, and it needs to be corrected. But the, even yeah, there, you need to be careful. Though, well, you also need to be careful to recognize that I want, is it your place to do that? That, that, actually, that information actually should go to the people who, are, who have authority. Mm-hmm. So to an elder or to, uh, you know, if, if Greg were preaching to me. Well, because I think there's an also another aspect at play, especially with preachers, and I read this from Bill Hybels years ago that I thought was really helpful, and he said that he only has about four people that, that he allows to speak into his life when it comes to preaching, and everyone else, it's in one ear, out the other ear. Because that, that's a problem, right? I mean, if you have all these different voices telling you, oh, it was a good sermon, oh, it was a bad mm-hmm. sermon, oh, I didn't like this, oh, I did like that, I mean, like, who do you listen to and who don't you listen right. to? Right, trusted, trusted advisors. But, you know, people should feel free to, to share their viewpoints. Mm-hmm. I actually really, believe it or not, most of us, given that, you know, buffer time, mm-hmm. most of us like to know exactly, you know, where, where it hit the mark and where, where it didn't. Mm. There are times where you get emails, and it's very discouraging because what you've said, what you've said, has been so misinterpreted or misunderstood that you're like, ah, and then you then you go through the process of thinking, well, mm. was that is that on me? I mean, usually misunderstanding is the responsibility of the the communicator, but there have been times where people have said, most people when they hear hear something, they interpret it according to their particular issue in that moment, right? Mm. So, so they come to church expecting to hear something about, from God about their particular issue. So no matter what the sermon's about, they tend to adapt the text or they tend to adapt what's being said to their particular issue. And sometimes that's good, but other, ti- other times it can be a little bit dangerous because mm-hmm. you know if, if, the, if the pastor's not talking about something that's related to what your particular issue is, you got to be careful applying it. I just, that's just not being responsible in their intent. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes sometimes it is helpful to come to a pastor and say, hey, um, you know, like, for example, you preached a sermon one time, Jeff, uh, on Easter, I think it was, <laughs> right, where you kept saying that, uh, and his legs... They broke his they, legs. They broke his legs. <laughs> and that's one Which of those moments... Which is not moments, true, by the way. Right. And that's one of those moments as a preacher that we are, like, so thankful, actually, when somebody will come up and go, now, you keep saying this, and you, you probably yeah, just... That's it's probably right. just a slip, but you might want to fix that for your next sermon, right? right? Or the 950. Right. I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, you mm. know? By all mm. means, please come tell right. those kind of things. Right. I got a long email after that mistake saying that from a, a guy saying he didn't know if he could trust me any longer. Seriously, because, you know, his 16-year-old son was in there and you were teaching him that Jesus' legs were broken, which they obviously weren't. And I was like, I totally, it was just a complete brain fart. It was mm-hmm. just, I don't know why. It's not like it's something I don't know. It just, in the moment, I said it. And then I think I said it in the second service because it sounded good the first one. And then I was like, guy came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, you know, they didn't actually break his legs. That was in line with the scripture or whatever. And I just, when he said it, I was like, oh, no, yes. But the Lord has a way of keeping us humble. And there's another thing, too, that's helpful, I think, for people to know. When you're speaking, sometimes what comes out of your mouth... <laughs> not always. Greg, yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily what was in your mind. You, Greg, I'm sure you've experienced this, too. Like Never. Where, <laughs> where you'll, say, you'll say stuff, and you'll even... Sometimes I've had it where people start snickering, and you're like, oh... What did I say? You know, I've said? I probably said something funny there. I, can't, I don't even know it, though. Right. Well, your mind's working a little quicker than your mouth is some oftentimes, yeah. and your mouth is trying to catch up at, at times, and you're, yeah, it's hard. 
This is why it's always funny when you see uh, public figures. You can put together years and years ago. Now, this is going to totally date me, but there was a vice president of the United States named Dan Quayle who used to stick his foot in his mouth all the time. And then George W. Bush kind of did a few of those himself. But what's been really, what's really funny about it is that so does Barack Obama a lot. And, but people, it's not publicized as much, right? But you can do that with anybody. Mm. Anybody yep. who speaks all the time mm-hmm. in, their, in their profession, you can put together a, a blooper roll. Yeah. of just dumb things that they've said. You can You're do this with Michael mistakes. Jordan mm-hmm. and his basketball. There are mm-hmm. things that he does, bricks that he throws up, stupid fouls, just dumb stuff that you're like, oh, man, you failed there. So it's just it's part of it. So I think what I'm saying is that it's helpful for people to be gracious but also thoughtful when they're emailing. And I, I love thoughtful, gracious emails but if they really have a critique or something, be specific, be clear about what it is that you're saying, and be willing to be engaged yeah. on it, right? It's not just a one-way – email feels one way, right? You send the send button, you push push away from the computer and say, taken care of. Wouldn't you say if they're not willing to put their name on it, maybe you shouldn't be sending well, it? Well, no, but yeah. Well, I get from time to time, it, people will send will write me – an actual handwritten note, and they'll hand it off it to the church, and then I'll the first thing I'll ask is who's it from, and oh we don't know, and then I'll open it up and I'll look at the end, and if it says a concerned brother or a concerned whatever, we just don't even look at it, yep. right? You need to have some responsibility mm. and recognize that just like I need to be open to correction, so do you, right? So mm-hmm. we all we all do that. That's part of what means to be dialoguing with one another and mm-hmm. growing together, right? Iron sharpening iron and all that. Absolutely. I also so I preached a few sermons where I got a lot of emails after them. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> um, not lots, just some. One in particular. One in particular. Right. Here, here was my um, here's my two cents to it. Is that if you're willing, if you're wanting to write a critiquing email, which is great, it's totally your prerogative to do so. I think at some point you should be willing to have that conversation, not by email. Yeah. So if after one or two emails, you're talking more past each other and you're trying to be clear because you're using italics and you're doing all kinds of stuff to try to make your point clear and you're still talking past each other. If you are wanting to engage in the conversation via email, hopefully you're also willing to engage in it face to face or by the phone also, mm-hmm. just because that eliminates a few more barriers for misunderstanding, yep. and then you can actually come to a point of of agreement or agree to disagree, but do so charitably right. and kindly. So that that's kind of my my piece is if you're wanting to send a piece <laughs> of feedback, if you're only willing to engage in it over email, uh, maybe having that conversation directly with the pastor might not be your best outlet. Maybe start with a community group or maybe start somewhere else and say, hey, did I misunderstand this? Yeah, it's I don't want to get of, into a big thing, but I, I feel like I might have misunderstood. It's a way of vetting your thoughts. Do you know, can I broaden this just really quickly as we bring the the, con, con, the discussion to close it and yep. f- at risk of actually broadening it to a point where it's going to keep going too much? But um, <laughs> no, I want to apply this to more than just emails that you send a pastor after a sermon. You know, there there are relationships that people have with each other, friends, and sometimes uh, spouses. And I have never, just so you know, I have never seen a relationship mended sufficiently by email. I'm not saying that there haven't been moves made in that direction by email. It's just, it never is, it's never sufficient. 
mm-hmm. to do that. It just is, it's a really rotten form of communication. It's easily misunderstood. I have been reading, uh, if you, many people have been part of, you know, like, uh, block emails and people do reply all to each other. And as somebody who sits on the outside, I can read some of it. And, and I, it, the tone of some people is way too harsh hmm. And they don't intend it. And you talk to them later and they're like, what? I didn't intend. I was just trying to do it quickly. Yeah, your, your, what you were trying to do quickly came off as sounding like you're impatient and being a bit of a jerk about it. Mm. And that's the way email works. And so look, if you're trying to mend a relationship or something like that, I know it's easier for you to, to, to write it down and send it to someone. It's easier to break up with a girl or a boy by text. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> but it's also cowardly. And I think you, you need to, in, in the world in which we live, we need to go way out of our way to have face-to-face conversations with people the most, as much as we can when it comes to relational discord. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to be able to see each other's heart. Basically, you can see it, right, being exuded. If someone's got a bad attitude and they get their back up, you can see that too. Then you know what you're dealing with in that in that situation, but it requires some courage to do this. And unfortunately, we're not very courageous people with our relationships. So, anyway, word to the wise. All right, moving on. Here's another question we got in from a listener. This one uh, has to do with false teaching or false teachers. Uh, the question says, because we as Christians are so easily led astray by false teachings, like sheep. Uh, is it the church's, is it church leadership's responsibility to compile a list of these false teachers and explain why they are false to the church? So not just talking about false teaching as a concept or false teachers as a group of people. Is it the responsibility of leadership to actually engage in, in, uh, naming names and, uh, ex- uh, describing the false teaching itself and talking about why it's false. Should we can we start by by making some like clear propositions from the Bible here. Also here you guys can I want you to disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Here here are some propositions meaning truths that I think the scriptures teach. Number 1 um naming a name is not a bad thing necessarily. Biblically now, speaking. I, I'm saying that because um, I, I have passages of Scripture <clears throat> where, where Paul will say uh, <clears throat> names like Hymenaeus and Alexander. <clears throat> and and he, so, so these are people who are well-known <clears throat> in the church, and they are to be avoided for their false doctrine, right? So it's not outside the bounds for us to say, to say that. Okay, we have we have biblical warrant to name name names. Second, oh, you want to walk? No. Okay, so here's my second one. Um, it's not common. Naming names is not common. What you mostly find, because in most of the churches that Paul is writing to, there are leaders in those churches who are spouting off certain viewpoints. In the same way that happens today, right? There are ringleaders about some of the doctrinal views. You will not read the book of Galatians and find a name there. Now that's remarkable to me because here's here's an issue right the Judaizers is what they're called which is a party but there were actual people actual teachers who were coming in in Corinth it was the super apostles they had names hmm. Paul does not mention their names now I'm just I'm not saying that he couldn't because at some places he talks about him and Aeneas and Alexander 
but it's not common mm. for him to. He usually engages the issue that they're teaching about, and he corrects the doctrine through the engagement of the issue. And it seems to me that that should be the primary approach that we take when it comes to these things. So if you want to talk about prosperity teaching, I can engage with the concepts around it. And then when you hear someone talk about talk that way, you should be able to say, oh, wow, that, that sounds like that heresy that we were being told about. Isn't that the problem with names, though, right? I mean, if you tell somebody the names, you're just going to have to keep talking about these different names. Uh, it's kind of like with bank tellers. They don't teach them about, you know, the counterfeit currencies that are out there. They got to teach them, you know, what is the... What does the currency look like, and what are the things that you should be looking for mm-hmm. in this false currency? Um, so really, in essence, what you're saying, Jeff, is that you're, you're teaching them to, uh, to be able to spot these, these heresies themselves. And, giving, and basically what we do then is we're helping them know, okay, this is a new thing right. that's kind of It's developing. not just about that teacher. It's about what that teacher is teaching, and there's yeah. nothing new under the sun. And right, so exactly. if I can teach you the teaching, then you can apply the teachers to it. Right? That's right. Like, Marcionism yeah. is a heresy of the church that just keeps coming up again and again. So, so what? what is it, Greg? Well, I was going <laughs> to throw it to you. Here's the summary, basically, that, that there's, a, there's a distinct difference between the God of the Old Testament and, the God, and Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah, and, and specifically, the Old Testament God's mean and nasty, and the New Testament God's nice. Right. And so what we have to do is we, we have to look back into the Old Testament, and any time that the God who is portrayed there doesn't look like what Jesus looks like. Well, or what we perceive Jesus to look like in the New Testament, right? Then, meek, then, meek and mild, super nice, hugs a lot. Then then what we do is with the God in the Old Testament, those passages are, are Moses or the other Old Testament authors' <laughs> misunderstandings or Joshua mishearing God, yeah. telling him to, to, to kill the Canaanites. Right. Because Jesus isn't like that, right? And he so, he wouldn't do that, or at least that's a perception. So, and Anabaptists have have typically said rightly that we need to read the Bible Christologically. I mean, how does this point to Jesus? And yet, that can be taken by all kinds of people to do what Marcion did. So, there's a way that you can read the Bible, the Old Testament, and say, how does this point to Jesus? How is this fulfilled in Jesus? And there's a way to do that poorly which is by saying the God of the Old Testament is mean and ugly, and anything that doesn't look like the Jesus that I have perceived in my mind isn't actually God. Right. Right. So, that's a, so for example, there are people around whose names I could mention who hold those viewpoints. But my hope is that by Greg describing the doctrine, okay, he, that you will be able to, as you read and hear, and, and you will be able to now say, oh, that's a heresy. When somebody starts doing it, you start thinking, "Ooh, wait a minute, that's not that that's a heresy." Hmm. So here's there's that. Um, as an elder, one of the passages of scripture that speaks um, about this stuff is in Titus one nine, or what what it is that a, an elder ought to be able to do. It says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, hmm. so that. He may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So there's the positive statement, right? So you need to be able to to know your theology and stand fast in it or hold firm is the language in the ESV. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So positively teach people and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here's the 
specifically what that passage is saying is not just rebuke the theology, but actually rebuke the teacher. Okay? So, and this is where it gets really interesting. So I'm, I'm moving now from my, my propositions to, okay, so what would that look like, I think, in the present world? So here's my idea. Um, because the internet is such a public place, and when you post on the internet your sermons or thoughts or things like that, what should be happening among God's people is actual rebuking taking place of those false teachers. What made this really hard, quite honestly, is back when Paul wrote those words, the likelihood was that the false teacher that you would meet would be the one who was in your church, period. That, that's it. Or somebody who came in you know, as a visiting speaker after you left, that kind of stuff. Whereas nowadays, because of the proliferation of information on the internet, the false teacher can have an influence in my local church in such a way that I'm, I'm not able to contradict him directly until I find out way down the track that, oh my gosh, you've been listening to, to this particular person, and now I need to inter- interact with this. So this is what's made it really hard to be a pastor these days, is because I could spend all my time um, listening to false teachers proclaim stuff and chronicling what's going on in, in their teaching and why it's wrong. And quite honestly, this is probably a place that, that uh, more pastors need to take some care. I spend quite a lot of time um, listening to sermons from people who, from, the, from the most popular preachers, teachers, whatever, in, in evangelical, English-speaking evangelicalism today. And so I spend a lot of time listening to them, so I know what it is that they're saying. So when someone comes to me and says, hey, I listened to Bill Johnson down in Reading, or I listened to, to uh, Joel Osteen, or I listened to Stephen Furtick, or I'd say I'm listening names, right, of people who, who I, have, I have some questions about their doctrine um, that I, I'm, I'm capable of interacting with at that point. So yes, I think that there is, to answer the question, I think that there is a place for pastors to be well-equipped and acquainted with the thoughts of some of the more popular people, and they need to spend some time doing it and being able to contradict what they're saying. Hmm. I do think that those kind of conversations can become very um, personal in that I'm attacking you, this other person, and I think... I want to be more about the issues that that person is bringing up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Jeff, what do you think of people that want to make the argument that because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in a harsh tone, that you have the right or the ability to rebuke in like fashion? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. You might be surprised at my answer. I think that there are moments for it. So here's the crazy thing, though, is if you go through the Gospels, one of the things you'll find, and, and the book of Acts, one of the things you'll find is that it's with the religious people that Jesus reserves his sharpest sharpest tone. And it's with the non-religious that he, he, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so somebody who's a non-religious <clears throat> unbeliever, do you know? <clears throat> he it seems very conciliatory. And I, I can think of some examples of that. But somebody who is, or somebody who's seeking... Right, he's conciliatory with the with the with the religious critic who should know better. So a Pharisee, Sadducees, these sorts of people, and they're they're leading the especially those who are in leadership, and they're drawing the sheep away. Man, he's tough. Matthew twenty three, he is tough. Right, you brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. 
You whitewash tombs. Right. So, like, he is, and he's saying this publicly, right? He's not just talking directly to them. He's saying it broadly. So I, my answer is, yeah, there should be moments where I think that that tone should be taken. The problem is if you take that tone, that kind of polemical tone, uh, you immediately get shut down in the minds of most people in the culture these days because, mm. you, you know, you're being mean. And I want to say, well, yeah, that should not... I think that tone should be reserved for, for, for those who are, you know, egregiously drawing people away from within the church, Okay. And it shouldn't be the the main way we talk, but it sh- it it is part of the arsenal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, can think of passages of scripture that talk about how we should the Lord's servants should not be quarrelsome, and the Second Timothy two. Do you think Jesus, though, by his you know very position, has has a right to speak in a way though that we don't? Um, I think that God has given the responsibility of shepherding the church to pastors. And so I I would love to see the argument made, whether you want to make it or someone else, to say that, oh, there's a disjoint between the kind of shepherding Jesus does on those occasions and the kind of shepherding a pastor ought to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying it's the main, main way he talked, but I do think that he was... Jesus was... Uh, I mean, using the image of a shepherd, like he was, he was aware that there were wolves and he was willing to do the battle. With them, I think the Apostle Paul shows this in the Book of Acts. Yeah, I see that as, as well. well. So I just I'm, I I think that the spirit of our age is that we because mm-hmm. we're postmodern and we don't believe in any kind of truth that's accessed by there's no true truth as the language has said right right that we just feel like we're being dogmatic and mm-hmm. uncharitable and I mean who are we to say that so and so is wrong and so that's the spirit of our age and so as a result we say stuff like. I mean, I was just reading an article. I feel Mm. like, instead of saying, I think that this is wrong, he said, well, I feel like it's wrong. I feel like this. The truth is, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. There is such a thing as truth. You do have access to it. God has spoken in his word, and you can stand on it. Isn't isn't that true? Like, I remember reading C.S. Lewis on this, where he said, listen, if you actually thought that there were witches, maybe you wouldn't be so bothered about them being burned. Uh, Right. And his, his point being... That people in the past took their faith seriously. This was a matter of life and death, and they saw that this was true. And and so obviously they're going to um, speak with a rhetoric that that uh, is is in incom- commensurate yeah. for, with what they believe. Yeah, exactly. And so I think you're right, though. In the secular world that we live in, oftentimes we I think secularism has impacted us more than we think it does. Well, the culture and the the. the the viewpoint of the church today is basically uh, unity above all things. So there is, you can make an argument in the scripture, a good argument at, at, that it's a command of scripture to be unified, right? Jesus prays for it in John 17, right? That Lord, may they be, Jesus, he prays to God, would they be one as we are one? Now you're going to have to figure out what he means in that particular context. And I think that there's very little work in the, in the ecumenical you know, uh, ecumenical movement, which is ecumenical means the the unity movement, to think actually about what he meant by those words. But there's also a lot of ignoring among the, that movement of the commands in Scripture to come apart and be separate, and for the purity of the church. And those, that's there's a tension there. We're, we're supposed to be unified, but the church is supposed to be pure. And so this is where you get into into difficulty. And I think to nowadays, if I say, "Oh, the church is supposed to be pure," because people just don't want to hear that. They, you know, who are you to say that you're more pure than anybody else? Oh, that's just you know. And, and, but I'm saying that that 
that the history of the Christian church has been one that is I'm th- I'm thankful that people like Martin Luther believed in the purity of the church. Like I'm I'm really thankful that uh that uh that uh Augustine said that against Pelagius. I- I'm th- mm-hmm. I'm thankful that the councils pointed out Marcion's error. I- I'm thankful that that uh, Arius didn't win the ba- win the battle over Athanasius, and Athanasius, against all odds, stood his ground and said, "No, this thus saith the Lord." Mm. So I continue to be thankful for those people, and I I want the people who come after us to be able to look back on us and say, "We are so thankful that they guarded the good deposit, even if it meant that the world called them fools." Mm-hmm. And that we have a responsibility to do likewise. I mean, like you said, Jeff, there's nothing new in all of these things. Mm -hmm. Like, the church has already been dealing with these in the past, and we're dealing with them now. Right. Great. Well, (coughs) Pucci, thanks for being here, man. No problem. Felt like you really contributed. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) He he found the answer to our Gretzky trivia question, and he'll reveal it next week. Next week. If you send in signed the, copy, the answer to the because I'm sure nobody's going to Google that themselves. They're just going to. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if they Google it. <laughs> this is the first takes, response. Did it, we specify rules for how they acquire the first information? time? First email we get. Yeah, first you can email. get whatever you want. You can email it. You can t- Google it. If you have the courage to Google that and Extra to email it in at northview.org, <laughs> and uh, you'll get a free copy of Andy Steiger's thinking. Thank you. Signed by him. What, you, mock, you, gonna, you mock it and you give it away for free. It's wh- unbelievable. What are you gonna? What do you want to? Where are you gonna write? It? What are you gonna write in the front of it? Well, I was gonna actually. What am I gonna write in the front of it? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good job God. answering the Gretzky yeah. question. <laughs> comma. Love Andy Steiger. The with tiger. The, with the money sign. With the money sign. Yeah, I've been known to spell my last name with the money sign. That's right. <laughs> All right. See, Andy doesn't deserve any of the mockery he gets. He signs his emails with a money sign and then writes the rest of his last name. Uh, you know what? Thanks so much for listening to the Extra Podcast. If you have questions you want to hear us banter around a bit, please send them to extra at northview.org. Poochie, thanks for producing. No problem. Thanks for stepping up to the mic. You did well. And we will see you at church on the weekend. Tiger, the tiger. <laughs>